This week on the Working With podcast, we have a very special guest, Davis Knight of Diabetic Savvy website. And in this week's episode, we are talking about the importance of planning and managing your day when you have diabetes. Hello and welcome to the Working With podcast. My name is Carl Pauline and this week I have a very special guest, Davis Knight. Davis Knight runs the Diabetic Savvy website and back in 2018 his whole life was changed. It was flipped upside down with a diagnosis of type 2 uncontrolled diabetes. Davis has had to change his whole life. He's had to change the way he's planned his life. He has to change how he runs his day to manage diabetes. He's been very, very successful. And it is just a real pleasure to get him onto this podcast to talk about the importance of planning and managing your day. Because I often give lots of advice. This is a real life case study that I think all of you will find interesting. So let me get straight into it and let's get started with my interview with Davis about how his life has changed through being diagnosed with uncontrolled type 2 diabetes. Welcome Davis, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Uh, It's great to have you here. I'm incredibly honored Carl, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a it's a real pleasure. Okay, so what I want to do is get into some questions. But the first questions I want to do is is kind of like your previous life as an executive chef, because I also have a background in catering and hotel management. So I, I know what a wonderful, wonderful world that is. So um, I was just curious about what what did your training as a chef teach you about the importance of planning? Well, first of all, I want to say that this is just an incredibly important topic. Um, you, in my belief, you cannot be successful in food service catering or anything that never stops. Correct, right? Mm-hmm. Without a good handle and a good system of time planning. So, I just want to say thank you so much for talking about this. Um, and, and I think I sort of answered the question. Being an executive chef, you are responsible for executing and managing every all of the moving parts of food, right? The thing is, it never stops. The minute you are you finished breakfast or lunch, you're already thinking about dinner, breakfast, lunch the next day. So you're always thinking ahead two to three to five days, in some cases, even longer with big events. So it really taught me to not take the, the aspect of time, uh, time for granted, right? Mm-hmm. You never have enough time. And it also taught me to get really good and master the idea of thinking ahead. Mm-hmm. And, and visualizing all of the possible outcomes or, or ways that things could, could go wrong or go right, and then plan for, plan for to mitigate all of the, the solutions that could be necessary. Mm. Yeah, I, I know from my own experience in the hotel industry, you were, you were basically working tomorrow, today, because if you Correct. didn't, it would just fall Correct. apart. Absolutely. It really would. Um, Absolutely. And even in the conference area, same in the conference area, you know, it was the morning meeting that we always had at eight o'clock in the morning was always talking about tomorrow because today was already done. 
You know, the rooms were set up, the coffee and everything was ready. That was done. We were talking about tomorrow. And if it was a Thursday or Friday, we were talking about the weekend. You're 100% correct. I used to tell my teams all the time, today's meals, today's food is just tying a bow. You're thinking Mm -hmm. about, you know, if if today's, you know, today's Wednesday, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about Friday and Saturday and the weekend. And you need to be thinking that as well. And so you're always thinking ahead. Absolutely correct. Mm. So when I, I presumably before you were doing the executive chef life, you were actually in the kitchen at the hot plate. Doing, where, what kind of skills does that develop, particularly like with the sudden emergencies? Because I know from I never worked actually as a chef. I, I did my waiting and lots of waiting and, and restaurant management. And I know that from the, the front of house, as we called it, uh, was always well, it was quite dramatic out there and we were coming in and out, in and out, bringing stuff back, saying customers not happy with this, they're not happy with that, or we didn't send out the starters. What, what did that kind of teach you from the, from the kitchen side about managing that kind of issue? Well, two things. One is patience, mm-hmm. learning how to listen and think about what your response is going to be before you react emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very important thing to consider when talking about time planning and just your life in general, because those things happen in regular life. It's Mm -hmm. more intense and more concentrated in Mm -hmm. food service because you have so many things coming at you. But taking time to evaluate in your head what is really going on and then being open, transparent, and not over committing a solution. Mm -hmm. I I think one of the biggest problems that we all have to manage, and and I certainly had to mitigate this as as a chef, was not over promising what you can do, not, not putting so much on your, on your plate, sorry, the pun, <laughs> um, that you deliver a subpar product or a subpar mm-hmm. level of service, you know, being, you know, being brave enough to say no, or this mm-hmm. is what we can do instead of what you want. Mm-hmm. And then offering other options is the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is going back to sort of what we talked about a second ago, you know, making certain that you understand what routines are in terms of what your customers typically offer. There are going to be days you run out of things, right? There's just mm-hmm. going to be days where you just didn't see something coming. Mm-hmm. You want to mitigate and minimize those situations. But at the end of the day, if you pay close enough attention to what's happening in your life and then plan around that and, and plan forward, you can mitigate a lot of those things from coming up. But I think in the moment though, not reacting emotionally, Here's what I can and can't do. And, and in many cases you can do it, but they may have to wait five minutes or, you know, so mm-hmm. whatever that solution looks like being transparent and open about it. And nine times out of 10, your customers and your team will be very happy. Well, I do remember like when I think back to the best kitchen teams I worked with, we had amazing communication. The worst team kitchen teams I worked with, the communication wasn't there. And it was usually because, uh, and I'm I certainly am not going to mention names, but it was right. particularly in one case where we had a chef who was, I would probably describe as being a quite arrogant guy and was wanting to be a kind of a celebrity. He was kind of a mini celebrity. He, he looked down on the service side of the team and it always fell apart when we were busy. When we were quiet, no problems at all because there was very little that was actually going on during the service. But as soon as we had pressure in any area it fell apart and it was and it always down looking back in hindsight now it was always because the communication wasn't there well you're you're 100 right and and i think communication is not only external it's also internal mm-hmm. you know there, there's a i think 
we as people are, are intuitively trained, most of us, to want to help others. You know, that, mm-hmm. you know we, we get a lot more satisfaction from helping others than we do ourselves. And at some point, we also have to look internally and say, I can't do it all. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that you're less of a person. And I think in the case of, of chefs that I've known them as well, they they're either armchair quarterbacks. Right. So they want mm-hmm. to tell everybody else what to do because they've made it, quote unquote, mm-hmm. or they want to take care of everyone. And as opposed to saying, I can't do that today or we don't mm-hmm. have that in stock and, and, and dealing with that issue. So mm-hmm. I, I agree completely. I think that communication, both internal and external, is is critical in just being honest with yourself it is i mean i i saw that also when i transitioned into sales many years after the hotel industry again when you had great communication with the admin team back at the office and you were out on the road everything just ran smoothly it felt like you had that support network and i still remember when i was on that front of house team working in the restaurant when you had a team of kitchen a, a kitchen team that were you felt was communicating with you properly you felt you had support and i and i 100%. realized in life in general whatever work you do it's your productivity immediately improves when you know somebody's got your back absolutely absolutely well there's there's an old saying in the kitchen um it's, it's a very old saying it's, a, it's it's it was coined in french called mise en place and it means everything in its place mm-hmm. and it's the fundamental idea of, of being organized mm-hmm. and if you can get to the point to where you're ahead of the game with everything in its place the execution of whatever that is becomes so much easier. Absolutely. You know, I, I used to tell my team, nothing upsets a cook or a frontline worker more than not having what they need to do their job well. So my job was to support them. Yeah. And, and I used I said that all the time. And, and I think it's true in all aspects of life. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. just, it's that simple. Yeah. 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 So going to, because your website is uh, diabetes. I can never pronounce it. Diabetic Savvy. <laughs> Correct. Yes, you got it. <laughs> diabetic savvy. That's it. Right. Yes, and yes. obviously, there's a there's a clue in the title. <laughs> the clue in the yeah, title is yeah. it's all about diabetes. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? How did that start? Well, I mean, we've been talking about my 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 job and my role as a as an executive chef. I um I, I was very fortunate. I, I had a life of perfect health. I mean, except for an occasional cold or a flu once in a while, I've had no major complications. And after being in food for a number of years, I uh, was doing some management work and I was coming home one night uh, at late at night from a, from a client and driving on a dark, on a, on a, un, uh, I should say a poorly lit road. And I started to lose my eyesight. Um, I, and we can talk a little bit about it later if you wish, but mm-hmm. I was, I found out later that I was, I was, I had type two uncontrolled diabetes and that completely changed everything about my life. What mm-hmm. was my priorities, what, how I wanted to cook, how mm-hmm. I was eating, how I was taking care of my body. So, uh, it, and it, it became very clear to me that as a food professional, if I was struggling with this idea of what to eat and how to take care and manage my condition, people who didn't have that professional training or that experience in the kitchen would be even more lost than I was. So it, it, I, I wanted to try and fill that gap with empowerment and education and, and recipe videos on, on YouTube and start to help people with my, you know, through my own journey. Mm-hmm. So it started out initially as a, a YouTube channel uh, where mm-hmm. we were doing recipe videos. We're still doing them today. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, when the pandemic hit, 
there wasn't a lot of connection for the community. And, and mm-hmm. I wanted to know about what was going on in the diabetes community. And others were saying, I have no one to talk to. I can't connect. And so that created the podcast and the website and the blog. So mm-hmm. we're now in, in virtually all areas of, of media and trying to, trying to improve and, and advocate for the community. Mm. So you hinted there about the first sign that you had, which was like, you know, on the darkly lit road, your eyesight suddenly disappearing. Were there any other early symptoms that at the time you didn't connect, but perhaps later now looking back, you think that was the first signs? Yes. Yes. I, I, I wouldn't, I, I'm not comfortable saying that I would, I understood them at the time to your point, but looking mm. back, I'm like, Oh, I should have been more attention, paid more attention to those symptoms. I was 60 pounds heavier than I am now. So mm. I was very overweight. I, I, you know, I didn't realize how over, overweight I was at the time. Um, I also had this, you know, fairly frequent reaction of where I would eat a big meal and I would literally crash. Like I would fall asleep almost immediately. And it was always with a carb heavy meal. I was craving sugar like crazy. And while both of those things are not, they're not, um, they don't create diabetes. They certainly Mm -hmm. exacerbate the underlying condition. Mm -hmm. And as I look back, those reactions that I was having physically to those situations were, telltale signs of being at the very least pre-diabetic, if not full on Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing was my massive mood swings. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, I would, I would be on absolute highs and happy. And then I would also just have an incredibly short temper. And and like those mood swings are good indicators of what's happening on your blood with your blood sugars. Mm -hmm. So as I look back, those are the telltale signs that if, if you have any of those, you may want to get tested and just and, and, and make certain that you are not at least pre-diabetic, you know, mm-hmm. the studies right now are that 50% of, at least in America, we're estimating right now that 50% of society is pre-diabetic. Mm-hmm. The, in my mind, the question is not whether you are not you're diabetic, but when will you become that because of our, of a variety of issues. So it, mm-hmm. it's important to rule that out early and mm-hmm. take proactive action. Right. Right. So once you were diagnosed, how did that change your approach to the way you manage your day? It flipped what my priorities were on their head. Mm-hmm. I structured my day. I've always been a planner. You know, I've mm-hmm. always had some sort of a system in place, but uh, you know, it was always from the, it, it, it was always driven by the external pressures. I've got to take care of this customer. I have to do this. I mean, you know, I'm in, I, I, I am in, and, and was even more so in a service-based business. So that's always a constant. Mm -hmm. But what happened when I was diagnosed, it became very clear to me that if I didn't take care of myself first, I wouldn't be able to do those things. So Mm -hmm. I had to flip the priority on its head, which means I had to make time to exercise, not negotiable. I had to give myself more time to rest. And I had to make room for better food in my life. And if I couldn't, and that, that meant cooking a lot more at home. I mean, I was always on the run. So mm. um, chefs are notorious for eating, eating badly um, <laughs> because they're so busy taking care of everybody else, right? Yeah. Um, so I had to make some really hard decisions and, and ultimately get better at saying no to some things in order right. to be better with my condition. Right, right. So it's it, it, it's a, usually it's more of a wake-up call, isn't it? You, you, I, I suppose... Um, you know, right up until about two years ago, I, I'd never had anything wrong with me. I never even needed to go see a doctor. Like you said, it's like having a few colds and flus. And yeah, suddenly right. I, I ended up with a, um, a hernia 
um, that I had actually had it for a, few, a couple of years. And I just said, ah, it's not a big problem. Then one day it just would never go back in. And I was, I went, oh, this is serious. And so yeah. I, I was, I, I ended up going to emergency room. And it's like the first time I've ever been to emergency room for like, gosh, since probably about seven years old. And it was a, but eventually I had surgery and had it removed, uh, had it all patched up and everything. And then I was thinking to myself, actually, while I was sitting, because they made me go in the night before. To before surgery and there's nothing else to do i watched comedy shows on my ipad just because i never had surgery before i go my god i've got surgery at 9 30 tomorrow morning but actually while i was lying there trying to get some sleep i was thinking to myself this is a wake-up call you know i'm i'm not in my 20s anymore you know th it these is. things cannot be ignored anymore i've got to yeah. do something about it and it it is although it's not diabetes it is it's like that first sign that, you know, we get, you know, as we get older, you know, we're not quite as immortal as we thought we were. <laughs> well, and, and I think that that's the hardest part is dealing with that idea of being mortal, vulnerable. Mm. You know, we're not in our 20s anymore. And, and what you do with that realization really defines how you're going to live the remainder of your life. And, mm. you know, I, I um, when I was diagnosed, I was adamant that I would not go on medication, at least initially. You know, mm -hmm. my doctor was very quick to want to prescribe, you know, a ton of medication to me. And I had, I, you know, literally I was just diagnosed and he's writing out these prescriptions. And I said, I'm not taking them. Give me 90 days to figure out what's going on. And, and I went to work. I at least wanted to be able to affect my condition so that mm -hmm. maybe I didn't need as much as what we thought. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I was very fortunate. I was very fortunate that I was able to, with a lot of hard work, manage my condition and bring all of my numbers back into normal ranges without medication. It's a lot of hard work and, and it never stops. But mm. to your point, it, it changed everything for me. And as I look back, I think about, I, I could never go back to the life that I was living before because it mm -hmm. literally created more health problems for me than I realized. Yeah, yeah, it does. I always actually one of the things that I always actually in one of my courses I talk about is that if you know, a lot of people have these big, wonderful ideas about what they want to do when they retire. And I we used to have a local pub, we're still there. I just it's not my local pub anymore. But uh, yeah, <laughs> right, one of the right. one of the cultural things, and I hope it doesn't disappear because of the pandemic. But one of the beauty, one of the wonderful things of English culture is the local pub culture, I, I, as I call it, where you can get people of any age, any background, who come into the same bar. We sit down. We can talk to strangers. I didn't have to call friends and make arrangements to meet. I could just say, oh, "I fancy a beer and go and have a you know sit down, play dominoes with a." couple of, uh, you know, grandfathers, but it was wonderful. But one of the things that I remember them talking about, say, you know, when I was in my thirties, I had these, all these dreams for when I was, you know, re retired. And he says, you know, my health isn't good enough now. I can't go and climb Everest. Not that there was anyone who wanted to do that, but, yeah, but you know, right. there was a lot of people had all these dreams about all the things they were going to do after they retired, but because they didn't look after their health when they were in their twenties, thirties, and forties, you know, they couldn't do it because they were in and out of hospital all the time because of dealing with the medical conditions. So it's really, I think it's really important for people to be aware of their health and make sure they plan for it now so they can enjoy that retirement. 100%. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. You know, it's interesting. I, in fact, just the other day I was going through, I was organizing some of my old photos and I was looking at photos of me from 10 years ago. Um, and aside from having a little bit more hair, um, I was also much, I was heavier then when, than I am now. And, and I look back and I'm just, I, I'm shocked to see that, you know, 
how soon or how early elements of this condition and, and my diagnosis started. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it just, and it's, it does, it just completely sneaks up on you. And, and I, and just one thing that I want to say about, about retirement, you know, we think of retirement as a goal, right? Mm. I want to retire. Goals are interesting to me. They're very, they're incredibly important. They give us a target. They give us something to motivate us. The, 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 the one thing that I do want to say though, is that a lot of people forget that while you're achieving your goal, it's not just the goal that's important. It's everything in between because that's your life, it right? Is. So you should enjoy the process. You shouldn't be so obsessed with, you know, and, and so I, when I think about that, when, when you talk, I talk to my, you know, my father-in-law and, and my, my grandparents and um, the one that's still alive, um, they talk about the same thing. Oh, I wish I had done it earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, when I think about, wow, what, what did, what did you do to enjoy the process of getting to retirement? You know, so mm-hmm. just an idea. It's, it's yeah. I think it's really important to not no, forget th- that. It is. And I, I, I tend to me, it's like, you know, it's not that my ultimate goal is actually to retire because I don't think I ever will. I love working, but um, I love what I'm doing and I can't imagine stopping, but that I would like to step back and I would like to go and travel. And I would like to, you know, one of my dreams is to, to go and buy a, an old Land Rover and drive it across Africa. Now, the thing is Land Rovers are not famous for being reliable and old Land Rovers particularly <laughs> so. So this is not going to be a case of jumping in the driving seat you know, putting it into drive and going forward because you you might go forward a couple of miles, but then you're going to be stopping and changing the fan belt. But to do all this sort of thing, you're going to have to be fit. And you know, if I'm if I'm not in a condition because of like maybe I've got weak heart disease or, or something like that, you know, that is just not going to happen. So I know that the I have to keep in mind what I want to do in 10, 20, 30 years time, and I need to be planning for it now. So it isn't 100%. like it means I have to exercise frequently so that I, you know, I can maintain my mobility. It also means I, I want to be avoiding any, I, you can't avoid all diseases, of course, because cancer is one of those examples where it's just, it, it just happens. But there are right. also right. a lot of diseases that are preventable if you take action now and early enough. And that's what I want to do. Wherever I have control, I will take action. 100%. I'm, yeah. I am right there with you. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. So looking at your life today, so obviously you got diagnosed and, and that changed, <laughs> it's a wake up call. Um, but how, because I know we've talked before anyway um, on, on your podcast, but what I'm curious about is how important are your routines today? Because to me, as you're saying, it's like enjoying the process. Well, the process is about building the routines that you follow every day and, and that gets you to where you want to go. So how important are routines now in your life having to manage a diabetic uh, diagnosis? They're, they're incredibly important. Mm-hmm. When my routines fall apart, and they do occasionally, something happens and they, I don't start we, my day the human. same way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> right. Um, in- inevitably, I can look back in almost every case, the day is worse than it should have been in my mind because yes. I didn't start off the day correctly. Um, mm-hmm. the ru- my routines are, are the bookends of my day. And mm-hmm. if I don't take time to do those things that are important to me, inevitably something either gets missed or I have a bad day. So I, I would say whatever your routine is, mm-hmm. stick to it. Do those things are important. Start your day off right. Get up a little bit earlier if you have to and start the day on your terms. End the day on your terms. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean that it's always going to go the way you want it, but recover and plan is the best mm-hmm. way that I can say mm-hmm. to, to, mm-hmm. to manage whatever happened during that day going into the next day and so forth. 
No, I, I agree. I mean, I, I remember ooh, two, probably two years ago, I read Robin Sharma's 5am club and I absolutely love the book. And if you have anyone who is listening who hasn't read it, I strongly recommend you read it. It's a different kind of self-help book because it's more of a novel, but it's full of amazing ideas. But one of the things Robin Sharma will say is everybody should be waking up at 5am in the morning and splits it into that first hour is so important. So it's an hour of exercise and no, 20 minutes of exercise, 20 minutes planning, 20 minutes education. The problem I had with that was, is that like now I'm speaking to you, it's in, like 11.30 in the evening. Um, yeah, right, and right. I also, I have regular, <laughs> regularly, I have calls that will go on probably till 1am in the morning. So waking up at 5am is really not an, an option for me if I want to get sleep and sleep is very important for your health and well-being. But what I learned was, is that you mentioned there is get up a little bit earlier. What I figured out was, okay, if I don't have to wake up, if my first call in the morning is 8 a.m., then I'll wake up at 7 a.m. I want an hour for me. I call it me time. That first hour of the day is me time. So I can make my coffee. I can drink my lemon juice. I can you know, do my stretches. I can write my journal. It's my time. And that's where I put my morning routines. And I think it's really important that like this morning, I, I got home late last night, but this morning I could wake up at eight o'clock. So I was like, okay, I wake up at seven. Still, it's an hour. I wanted to start my work at eight. Sorry, I woke up at eight. So I, my, I started my day at nine. And that's the way I tend to think of it now is get the sleep, but make sure I, have to, I wake up an hour before I need to start, whether it's a call, whether it's start my work. Um, so it's figuring out that time. How much do you want for your morning routine? Some people like 30 minutes, I figured out an hour means I'm not rushing. I can do it in about 40, but an hour feels like I'm not rushing. It's a nice, relaxing way to start the day. Well, and I think what, it, what you said there was so important, whatever it is, whatever your routine is, whether it's, I mean, I don't know if you can do it really in 15 minutes and be effective, but regardless, 15 minutes, an hour, whatever it is, right? As long as you make that a non-negotiable, it happens, period. Yeah. It just gives you so much power, so much more, calm and a mm -hmm. uh, sense of, of peace about what you're going into, no matter how busy that day is, you already know what's going on and you've taken care of you first. You know, mm -hmm. um, you, you, you know, there is that, there's that old saying that you can't take care of anybody else unless you take care of yourself first. And it couldn't be more true. And, and routines mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the other thing that I want to just quickly say about routines is, is I actually have three, believe it or not, mm -hmm. I have the morning routine and then I have my end of my business day routine where I kind of mm -hmm. close up business for the day, um, you know, clear out all my emails, figure out what I'm doing the next day. And then I have my end of day routine, which is, all right, I'm shutting down for the night, be it that I'm going to go watch some television with my wife or just, you know, or even going to bed, whatever that is, right? Um, that closes down the day as a whole. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really important because you do have different aspects and roles in your life and you need to close out and open every one of them because you step into different roles as, as you live your life in your week. So, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, I think there's, it's that, uh, what do they call it? The oxygen mask scenario, you know, in the airlines, you know, if you've got a young child next to you, you know, put your oxygen mask on first, even though every instinct in your body said, no, I must protect the child. But if you're not, if you're not conscious, you're not going to be able to help the child. So you get your absolutely oxygen correct. mask on first before yeah. you put the child's oxygen mask on. Um, yeah, so, 100%. Yeah, it always reminds me of that one. So wrapping up a little bit here. So I know today that you run the Diabetic Savvy 
website. I know you've got a podcast. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you've also got a YouTube channel and you're also doing some contracting work as well. So how do you fit all that into your day? Because that, that seems like, because I know from my own experience, running a YouTube channel, a podcast, a blog and a website, so to speak, it's, it's a lot of work. And you've also got like other bits that you've got to fit into that week to make sure that you're moving forward. How, how do you manage all that? I, um, well, I'm going to give you a shameless plug, Carl. I am a huge, huge fan of weekly planning. Mm-hmm. I, I plan my, I plan my quarter, I plan my month, and then I plan my week. Mm-hmm. And within that, I know there's only so many things that I can do. Now I, I may have, you know, 25 to 30 tasks in a day that I have to get done. But within those tasks, there's, there's the really important ones. There's the meaningful ones. There's the goals. There's those kind of things. Right. And there's the others that if yeah, they could get done, but if it won't be the end of the world, if you get them done or not. Right. Mm-hmm. The most important thing to me though, is that I know what my goals are for the week in terms of, okay, I've got to get a podcast out. I've got to get a video out. Oh, I've got a food review to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to get a blog post going, whatever those goals are for the week that's what drives everything. Mm-hmm. And then I fit in um, everything else around that. I mean, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I cook for my family, I do all those things, all of that has to fit. So I, I guess the short answer to the question is doing what's important to me first, mm-hmm. starting there, and then fitting all of the, the uh, negotiables around that. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the first thing. And then, you know, I think most important, you know, just staying true to your priorities. You can't do everything. You have to learn mm. how to say no to some things and, and that's okay. Mm. As long as you can look back at your week and your month and say, wow, I did, I got so much done and I, I, I got all this stuff done and yeah, I didn't get this done, but you know, it's, there's also an element of, okay, maybe it wasn't time to get that done. So I think, mm. I think at the end of the day, just being true to yourself, being true to your priorities and working really hard. You know, I don't, mm. I don't feel like I work a lot anymore. I mean, I'm very busy. I love what I do. I love so much. I mean, I have met, I have met some of the most wonderful people, yours truly included, through this process. To me, that's not work. So I just, I, mm. I actually work longer hours now than I used to because I enjoy it so much. I just, I can't stop. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I think it was a few, maybe about eighteen months ago. I actually sat down and monitored how much work I'm doing each week. And I realized that I'm actually working 15, 16 hours a day. And I'm thinking, but it don't feel like it. I remember when no. I worked eight hour days and it really felt like it. It felt like yeah, I was, right, but, right, right. Yeah, I was, it was like, I was clock watching all days. Oh, come on. Every minute felt like an hour. It was horrible. But when you, I, it's, it's something that Seth Godin actually said. I mean, I know people say you need to find a way to do what you love. Actually, that's not true. And I loved what Seth Godin said. It's not about doing what you love. It's about loving what you do. And I 100%. thought, absolutely, yeah. he's got it. So what I've been able to do is because, and, and I know I'm lucky because I, I run my own business. And I'm sure it's the, same, it's the same with you, is that we can develop processes and ways of doing our work uh, because we don't have a boss telling us, no, you have to do it this way, or you've got to follow the standards of procedure. I, I know I'm very lucky because I can create my own standards of procedure. And if I don't like them, I can change them next week. Um, and yeah. I think that yeah. really helps to make the process of what I do. I love it. Like Monday mornings is probably my favorite time of the week. And most people say Monday morning. <laughs> I say, yeah, because I sit down for two hours and write a blog post. You know, it's like me, just me and a blank screen and I can write whatever I want to write. I don't have somebody telling me you must do this. 
So I know yeah. I am very lucky and I'm very grateful for having the opportunity that I do to do what I do. But a lot of it is when I first started it, most of it felt like a chore. But you develop mm -hmm. ways of, you, you know, you, you say, I have to do this. I have to do this. I noticed my vocabulary changing, though, is saying, I want to do this. You know, mm -hmm. so when, mm -hmm. when it's, when it's mm -hmm. a chore, you, you, you can tell because people's language, the way they say, I have to do this, I have to do that. But, you know, I want to put out a blog post every week. I want to put out a podcast every week. So I don't feel as though I have to do it. It's because I want to do it. And when you see people's vocabulary changing like that, you realize, okay, they're loving what they're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I went through the same process. You know, I, I, when I would get backed into a corner because of some obligations, if I, if I felt like it was taking me away from what I wanted to do, I either, I had to get rid of it or I had to say no, mm -hmm. because that's just, it would, you know, I could do it, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't make me happy, you know? And, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of, particularly with, you know, with diabetes, you have to manage your, your mental state as well, because that has a direct impact on your chemical balances and your, your, you know, how much insulin you're, you're producing and your blood sugars and your cravings, all of that, all of that is tied together. So you have to be even more protective of doing what you love to do. And, and if you, if you are, in a job with a boss that's that's difficult or challenging try to recall why you do what you do within that because mm -hmm. that will motivate you and you you have to come at it from a perspective of being motivated and again to your point listen to your language that's yeah. a good key it's always a good key yeah so where can people find you if they want to learn more about uh, what you do and particularly with the diabetic savvy website where can they find you diabeticsavvy.com is the best place to mm -hmm. to find me that website houses all of our content from our mm -hmm. podcast to our youtube channel to our recipe videos we also have a store where there's ingredients there that you can find that support the diabetic lifestyle so that is the one best place to find me but i'm also all over social media facebook instagram twitter at diabetic savvy Right. Look for the look for the bald guy. So just basically, so it. basically, just search <laughs> diabetic savvy. I'll put all the link. I'll put the links in the show notes anyway, so people can find you and and come and watch you. So thank you very much, David, for coming on the podcast. One of the rare guests I have on my podcast. I should do it more often. Um, but thank you so much for joining me today. It is an absolute incredible pleasure, and I'm a huge fan, Carl. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you very much. Mm -hmm.